clubhouse. I'm Beth Kushnack. And I'm Caroline Daly. Welcome to Decorating the Set, from Hollywood to your home. For over 30 years, I've created settings for countless award-winning television series and feature films. As a set decorator, I'm a storyteller. My job is to compose visuals that both capture and enhance any story. Now, I want to help you capture and enhance your story. I'm on social media every day, and Beth's Instagram is a must-look for me. Over and over, I see fans asking her, how can I get the look in my own home inspired by something I've seen on screen? There's nothing I enjoy more than helping people create a space that allows them to best express themselves. Subscribing to Decorating the Set means you'll never have to tackle these projects alone. I'll be the decorator by your side. Hey Beth, today we're going behind the scenes and getting a crash course in how a new show gets started. Hey, Caroline, I'm excited to share with TV fans everywhere all the steps to doing a startup TV series. I've been a part of actually eight startups for TV, and every one of them has had their successful and certainly challenging moments. Are you personally typically involved starting right from the pilot? Is that how it usually goes with your crew? You know, pilots are shot all over the place, and what sometimes drives where a pilot is shot is where the main actor or actress lives. That can be part of it. Where the showrunner or show writers live. But in most cases, the pilots are shot kind of down and dirty and not usually in New York where it is expensive to shoot. So typically I receive the work starting after the pilot's been done. Do you usually get like the the set and everything that they use from the pilot? No, not usually because pilots usually shoot on location. They find even their main set and they don't build very much. So after a pilot's picked up, I'm given the task to replicate with some changes by the writers and the directors what was shot. And rarely do we get sent a set or anything for that matter that's used in the pilot. So we're starting from scratch. Oh boy, so that makes sense because there's so many times when the pilot looks pretty different from the rest of the episodes of a series. It's true, even the first couple of episodes might look different as uh, the crew is pulling together the set that's ultimately gonna be used for the entire series. Do you have flexibility when it comes to recreating the set for a pilot? You know, what's interesting, Caroline, is we actually take that situation and we become very flexible because we want to get it right and we're spending a lot of money building a set and dressing a set. So we want to really develop it as long as we can and it takes time to build it and put it all together. So we do tend to give ourselves leeways there uh, when something isn't exactly a match to the pilot we just say, okay, what the hell? And we expect the audience to take the ride with us. We just have to suspend disbelief, right? You must, yes, it's very (laughs) important. Even though those are things that I always, uh, in my fan interaction, feel that they're gonna call me out on. You know, so I, I go to bat for that a lot. It's not gonna match and 
people are going to notice and everybody tells me doesn't matter Beth <laughs> <laughs> I love that I know a lot of times you guys have to start shooting before you're even really building the sets how do you guys handle that type of situation it's true our prep times become shorter and shorter through the years doing a startup show is a daunting task but the way that we do it is we count on shooting on location for a number of episodes. For instance, when we started The Good Wife, we shot a courtroom on location. And, you know, that brings its own set of difficult parameters to work within because a location like that wouldn't be available to us during a regular day. So for a couple of episodes, we shot there on Friday nights into what's famously known as Fratter Day. That's a true behind the scenes term when a crew works Friday night through Saturday morning. So you're bridging two days and that's our Fratter Day. You guys are so cute. <laughs> that must be so challenging though to like be in a working space like that in a working courtroom. It is very challenging. You know, we get into these locations where there are big do's and don'ts. Many times we're not allowed to hang any pictures or put any holes in the walls. And we have to deal with using frames, say, that are in a long row in a hallway and make graphics and combine all of our concepts to basically put a band-aid on things that we're not allowed to touch or change at a location but that don't work for the scene that's that's so fascinating walk us through the process as you're beginning to start up a show so we obviously watch the pilot get our script Sometimes, if we're lucky, we get more than one episode script. We break down the script and the decisions made based on how much stage space we have, what we're going to build. So I work with the production designer and we start to conceive of the set and a lot of money goes into it. So it's a set that's going to be up hopefully for multiple seasons of a show. So there are a lot of people who weigh in on all the details where we would like camera ports for instance which is uh, a way in which the camera can see through something like see through an elevator wall or even shoot through the back of a refrigerator and we have a concept meeting with all the department heads and we talk about things like palette and what characters should live in what kind of spaces and plans start and scheduling starts. You know, inevitably we tell the assistant director, you have to put the build sets at the end of the schedule. And they say, sure, we're going to do that. And then something happens and we have to move that set up. But again, this is the start of our team of our collaboration and of our creativity being flexible. That concept meeting is a chance for everybody to basically like have sort of like questions and answers with one another. They, they sort of get to brainstorm a little bit. Yes, we go around the room and every department head is there and says what concerns them. Of course, you know, we're all so oriented towards our own work, even though we're a collaboration. So 
everybody has the opportunity then to really take a stand for their department and for what it's going to take to get the work done. Well, surely money must start coming into this process somewhere. The budget is exactly the next scenario. Once we've made these decisions, what's going to be built, what's going to be on location, how many days we need to shoot something, if we're going to keep something as a standing set, the next thing we do, and an extremely important aspect of the process is I put together a budget. Inevitably, you put together the budget without having all the information that you might need. But in my situation with years of experience, I kind of really have a handle on knowing what it's going to take and what it's going to cost. We do both a budget for purchases and rentals, and we do a manpower budget. How many man days will it take to dress this set? When you're trying to figure out things, I know that some things can be rented, but you have to buy some things. Now, things seems like they have changed a lot when it comes to just being able to rent things, even just as like a regular consumer. I remember we could rent like lots of things for parties and stuff, and that seems to have diminished quite a bit. It's not only COVID related, it's really in the last number of years, a lot of vendors in my area that I'm always looking towards, more of the mom and pop vendors, but the brick and mortar vendors have closed down and everything's happening online. So that is something that's been a shift in the industry that I don't really like at all. I don't enjoy doing all my work online because I'm really want to see the piece. I'm a touchy-feely set decorator and I, I want to see the piece in front of me and I want to see the scale of it and what it's going to look like in the room, especially my main pieces of furniture. Have you ever gotten burned by that where it's like you haven't seen it in person and you order? Because I know I sure have. Oh, we get burned a lot. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I, 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 this is this is the call I dread the most from the shop because when I order things, they go to my set dressing shop. So usually, large pieces of furniture don't come to my office. But you know, whenever something arrives at the shop, I get the call. So here's the call I get: um, Are we doing a dollhouse in this episode? <laughs> And I say, what? And I get asked again, are, are we doing a dollhouse in this episode? Because uh, some dining room chairs came in and they look just perfectly sized for a dollhouse. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and it's seriously true. When you are looking at things online, look at the measurements, people. Because even though the picture is beautiful and it looks like the perfect item, sometimes I even wonder, why is this good-looking chair so inexpensive? And then I come to realize, because instead of using two yards of fabric on it, they use two inches because it <laughs> oh, is no. small enough to fit in a dollhouse. Oh, so believe me, that has happened to me way too often but now, I, I, you know, one of my tips that I'm always saying out loud over and over again in the office, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Oh so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, the way that we deal with it also is in these times and even before COVID, I try to avoid disasters by now maybe picking out a second choice and a third choice. So even though I may be attached to my first choice piece of furniture, I know inevitably something can go wrong. It might arrive too late. There was one set recently that we needed, you know, a real wall eater, we call it, when it's a large piece of furniture. I needed it specifically in white. I went online. I went looking. I actually ordered three choices because they were relatively inexpensive. And I did that as backup. Very often as a set decorator, you have to think backup. When we get into smaller items, like say we're serving food and uh, we're doing table dressing with plates and flatware and glassware, we always, always, first rule is we always have another set for backup. And we also do that for ease of shooting. You know, if we're plating food, we want to be able to plate a clean plate while they're shooting the scene. And then we go again and we're ready with the food again. So these are all examples of planning because that's the biggest part of what we do. We have to plan for emergencies in a way plan for shooting schedule changes because that always always happens and always have a lot of options so when i would do something like that buy a second choice a third choice here's how it goes we get maybe the second choice in time so we put that on the set then we've got the third choice in the shop and you know, when you're shooting episodic television, you always have another episode coming up. So sometimes I luck out and the script comes for the next episode and I get to use that piece in a different way on a different set. And then here's what usually happens. Two or three weeks or four weeks later, again, I get one of these hysterical calls from the shop and someone <laughs> says to me, um, what's that white cabinet for? <laughs> and that white cabinet was for something we shot a month ago. Oh, God. This is the way that we work. It doesn't really work in the real world. But, you know, think of juggling a lot of things at one time. I think what it comes down to, what it all boils down to, is making efficient decisions. That is something that you can apply to your own home decor. You know, we've talked in the past about high, low, where you spend your money, what becomes an important piece. So these are all what I consider efficient decisions. I love that because you have to you have to account for delivery time and you just never know what's going to be held up. You are only as good as both your team which includes assistant set decorators and my lead man and my set dressers and my teamster drivers who I depend on. And if one thing goes wrong, it really creates this ripple effect. For all of you out there 
who are asking me questions about being a set decorator, I will tell you my honest opinion. It's much, <laughs> much less glamorous than you think it is. Jot this down, people. Jot this down. <laughs> I won't tell you how many rats I do see in the course of my daily life. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but I'm what I'm expressing to you is that it's not just about picking out pretty things and shopping. It's a, an overall organizational, you know, air traffic controller like job and it takes a lot of stamina. I love it, Beth. I love that you have so much stamina for all this planning because it does seem very complicated. Once you finally get all of this planning happening, you have all your ducks in a row, what does that next step look like when you're like finally going to get to work here in terms of hands on the products? Once we have things and it's our scheduled time on set, we roll up our sleeves and get to work. You know, this is when we're laying carpet and installing tile and lighting fixtures and going through all the steps. Rarely are we working on our own. Uh, we all work and collaborate as a team. We have carpenters with us and scenic artists with us and grips and electricians, everybody focusing on the same set and working in unison, which can be difficult, definitely can be difficult, but you know, we, we try to do it. There are times even when we work with other departments and say they may come in on the early shift and we get the set handed to us on the later shift. But, you know, the time I love the most really is inevitably it's a weekend, but it's my time, just me with my team to do that final touch and really spend time conceiving of what that should be. And I have all the elements there. I kind of create my own prop house on stage and I have probably more than I need but that's what allows me to keep pulling it together. I feel like that the idea of bringing in large tables and laying out all of your samples, all, all the wallpaper samples and the paint and the, the different ideas that you have for fabrics and stuff, that's something that I think a lot of home designers maybe skip because if you're not a pro, you're just kind of doing everything piecemeal and you may never actually lay them all out together on one table at the same time. You may pick paint first and then go looking for fabric or something like that. And the idea of how you do it, where you put it all out together, that seems so, like you said, efficient, because it seems like you'd make a lot less mistakes if you don't come back and bring stuff back and say, oh no, it completely clashes, it looks stupid or whatever, because you have it all in front of you before you even commit to the choice. Even people who feel that this is not their, we'll say, uh, milieu, uh, or there. We will say that? Yeah. Should Beth will say that? that? <laughs> Should we say that? You say that. <laughs> Even if decorating is not someone's milieu or they're, you know, they don't have a bent towards it, they don't feel it or have experience with it, that's what we're trying to help with. So, first, I would say absolutely 100%. Right now, all these companies, fabric companies, furniture companies, paint companies are ordering large samples. 
And we have talked about even purchasing more than one sample of a piece of fabric, laying it on the back of your old sofa. But yes, when we have the opportunity to see everything in unison, even if it's in a small scale, but you're thinking this is going to be in a larger scale. Like if you're looking at a teeny tiny pattern and you're thinking about it for your sofa, you really have to think logically and efficiently, well, this is going to be times 100 when I see it on the sofa. And am I going to like that? But now all of this online purchasing is making it easier for people to have the exact sample, the exact tone to put the paint up in different rooms and put it up on different walls with different light. So yes, the more sampling we do, the more I offer up to everybody, because again, it's usually for me a committee decision. The director mm. of photography weighs in, the gaffer weighs in, the production designer weighs in. We have to look and make sure that things don't vibrate on screen. And at the same time, we want to show that we've really captured the character. So I know that there are multiple sets that you're dressing at once. How do you end up dividing the responsibilities on your team? Do you assign different sets to different people or how do you handle it? My particular work method is not to do that. I take part in all the sets, but I have an incredibly strong team of people who definitely have their asset that they bring to the table. And I rely on them a lot. I mean, there are, as we've spoken about Curtin College before, there yeah. are uh, set dressers who are who have graduated Curtin College with high honors. Ooh. And if I'm lucky enough to have one of them when we're installing curtains, you know, my, myself and my lead man work together and we talk about who's going to do what and where. Definitely at this post-pilot first couple of episodes time of gearing up, I do find myself really feeling stretched because not only are we prepping on location, prepping on the stage, but you're also starting to shoot and prep the next episode. That's so wild. I don't know how you can possibly keep track of everything. It's just part of it. It's part of the energy of it. It's part of how we do it. And I mean, it definitely takes a village, you know, everybody has their hand in it at this point. And we're kind of all running fastly together, but still accomplishing our, our separate tasks. What does it look like when you're actually starting to pull those things together, when you have all of those samples and you have the, the color palettes and you've made some mood boards for your characters and everything? How, what does it actually look like? Is it you alone that's doing it or, or no, how does it look? No, I have usually two assistant set decorators and sometimes a buyer. And we work together kind of in one room always, which is the best part of it because <laughs> we like to share our ideas and that's when we have our laughs and, and inevitably, I, I don't know how it happens like this, but we're so in tune that, of course, at the same time, we, we share a printer in the room. So at the same time, 
the same piece comes out three times from the printer. And, and I go to the printer <laughs> and I pick up the same piece three times. And, and I say to myself, did, did I just press print times three? What, what is this? You know, what's happening here? Because my department definitely runs into technical difficulties. I don't know. It's something that <laughs> happens to us. The printer's working really well, and then all of a sudden it stops. And we always need help with that. But always in fact, right? the real reason why there are three copies of the same sofa is because the three of us at one time knew that was the right sofa. Nice. You're like sharing a brain. We're sharing a brain. That I is, love it. That's I love so it. It's perfect, like a think tank. Caroline. It's, it, really, <laughs> it really, really happens like that. And... You know, we we have good memories and we find ourselves saying, hey, what about that chair that we used for Will's character? Or what about a, a sofa that we just pulled for another set that we didn't use from a prop house? And it's really about keeping this rotating inventory in your head. And that's why I recommend to everybody look at everything look at catalogs look online be open don't pigeonhole one vendor as something that's not for you because the vendors that are surviving right now they're putting out new lines very very often and they're giving people a lot of choices in fact during this time everyone has come to realize just how much people want to stay safe and stay healthy and be in their homes, but also enhance their environments. Beth, I have to tell you, I always am perusing home decor pages. And, you know, very often, like you said, you, you get stuck looking at the same vendors, the same pieces over and over again. And a new one came across my page yesterday. And I was like, <laughs> like a kid on Christmas morning. I was like, oh, a new one. I've never seen you before. Like I ran off to their website. Yep, I was like pouring over right? it. The joy oh of God. the discovery. So excited. So excited. And I was like, they have these just pieces I've never seen before and such unique patterns. And I know our listeners will understand those outside the love of the of the decorating world may, may guffaw at me, but I feel like those in the know here, you feel me. When you see something fresh, you're like, shut up. I did not know that existed. Yeah, it's, it, it's true for me too. And, you know, I hear from a lot of artists and people showing me their work and there's so much to be seen and had and on all different financial levels and people are so creative and again that's why stop looking at things in suites of furniture and the way they're shown the best thing to do is not to look at the photos of how they've been merchandised how the pieces have been merchandised because that usually speaks to one kind of decor so mm. once you see once you click on view more when you get an email about new items and you can look at each piece individually that's when something might speak to you. Mm, that is a very good tip. You've got to see them in isolation. Yes, huh? exactly. Get them out of their out of their habitat. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, good tip. I know that a lot of times when I'm trying to put something together, it seems like I have great little clumps of ideas and things that are working. And then I have these like outliers, these like areas that are just not working out for me or these individual pieces that I loved by themselves, but they just won't play nicely with everyone else 
what do you do with that when something doesn't seem to come together? Oh, that that's when I like hark back to high school and you know, I call them my little trouble babies that are <laughs> not going to come together. The Aww. things on my list or my tasks, you know, that I don't enjoy. And I just seem to procrastinate a little bit about them. But, you know, I think that's when we get crafty, when we start to get shut down, say, I need 10 items of the same thing, and I can only get four. You know, I get six in the other in another color and we have our scenics paint them to match i have certain pieces of furniture reupholstered sometimes if i find the right curtains and they don't sell them in the size that i need i have an upholsterer put a panel of a different fabric on the bottom of them or on the top of them and they look custom designed we add, we subtract, we, uh, we really have a whole area of capability to cobble things together and make them work. You know, sometimes a set is going to be overpainted, as we say. Maybe it's a prison, maybe it's, uh, you know, an old apartment. That gives us leeway, you know, if we can't find the same hardware. And then we consider the next level. We go to product placement companies that send over, you know, things that we might need in multiples. That's how we dress mostly drawers and cabinets and the refrigerator. You know, all those things that you see in the pantry and the refrigerator, they're all empty containers usually. We build those cardboard containers and sometimes we add some fresh fruit and vegetables to them. We do that for a real lived in look for that top layer of life. And another aspect of what we have to deal with is the whole tech aspect. Yeah, that's one I hadn't really even thought about, but there's like so much tech in our homes. So much tech in our home. A lot of TV shows do a lot of storytelling by telephone screens and computer screens. And we have graphic designers who create those screens, but as the set decorator and the prop master, we provide that product. So that's a whole technical aspect of things that we get into and have a lot of meetings about. That's one of my trouble babies that I always love to hand yeah. off. I can honestly say. Um, that is one thing I like to hand off. But, uh, you know, it's just a continuous layer until we get down to everything. The, the switch plates, the keys at the door in the little bowl with the stamps and, you know, every little touchy worked on detail. When you see a set that looks like a real location, it's because it's been made to look lived in. Which is harder than it sounds, right? It's so much it harder like than it sounds. Home. When you get the scenic to put the handprints, the fingerprints around that light switch or that cabinet door, that whole layer of... It's like realistic Yeah, living, reality, right? you know, where you can just feel it in your in your bones, that's what the actors respond to. That's what everybody 
walks in and feels wowed about when it's really singing because it's, you know, it's what you're used to. Even though it annoys me to no end, the greatest compliment is when crew members come in and just pull up right down in the living room, lay right <laughs> down on that bed. They, they feel like they're home. That is like the biggest blue ribbon on your chest, huh? Yes. And then the minute and then you it's want to over, beat them. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many pictures I have of my phone sent to me by my crew members of other crew members sleeping on the set, which is oh, a wow. big, big no-no. Wow. That's amazing. Like what an awesome accolade to give you. But also I can see why that would be very distressing to be like, get off my, my work. Exactly. Like, oh, my God. Exactly. Oh, gosh. OK, so once you get everything physically onto the set and, and things are, are coming together, what is your biggest challenge at this point in the process? At this point, we have acquired things. We start with a big master calendar in my office with all the deliveries and the details written out. We have to keep track of all these items that we've ordered so we can be ready to dress the set. And again, one of our areas that can throw us completely off, and of course is inevitable, we're all ready, going to dress the set, and now is the time when we discover that some pivotal piece is missing. You know, that usually calls for a couple of moments of hysteria. Sometimes we find it, it's been put with another set or still in the shop, and sometimes it just hasn't arrived yet. Oh boy. So we're lucky if we have enough time to fix the problem, and if not, we pivot and we go for something else. So now we're in a situation where if something hasn't arrived, you know, we're at the point where we're doing our micro troubleshooting. And as each layer comes in, I like to work very closely with the electrician who is assigned to set decoration because they're setting up their lights in the grid that you don't see. And I'm bringing in what's called the practicals. So that's the actual lighting fixture, the chandeliers, the sconces, the table lamps. And while he's running cables and lighting these things up for me, I can see in the set where there's holes of darkness or where there's too many lampshades that have the same tone. And this is my time to do some balancing of the entire tone of the set and the vibe of the set. And, you know, he'll put everything on dimmers and we want this because what comes up next is actually a show and tell with the director. So we do that in a way where we don't want to give the director something to imagine how it's going to look. We want to provide that. We even set the light level and have everything as well done as we can and as, as realistic as we can get it. So when the director comes in and gosh, I, it just dawned on me that there would be different directors for different episodes. So boy, Beth, you got me like kind of whirling my head around here. So the director comes in and they actually determine whether or not the set is working for them. Well, each director we have is different for each episode because no one can prep and shoot at the same time. 
Except, uh, except Caroline. Beth, I never even realized that's why it is. <gasps> but that's who, why it is. Who do you think can prep and shoot at the same time? It's got to be you, Beth. The set decorator. <laughs> But it never occurred to me why they changed directors episode to episode. I never thought about why that happens. I guess I just thought I you can't for really shoot sake. back to back oh. unless you because you you can't be on a tech scout and shooting on stage at the same time. It's impossible. Only for the set decoration department and and the costume designer, we are the people who are always prepping and always shooting simultaneously. The way that I interact with the director is I open every set or someone from my department opens every new set or location. I stand with the director and he looks at his shot list or she looks at her shot list for the day and decides if they have everything they need. Sometimes we'll turn the room around. We don't ever, I'm happy to say, change things. We just changed the placement of them. And that's because it's the director's right to come in and even though things might have been scouted in a certain way, to change their mind. It can be based on so many things. An actor's good side, the light in the location for the day. You know, today's a rainy day, but when we scouted it, it was a sunny day. Everyone comes prepared, but we still come prepared to walk through and make changes as we go and be willing and able to change anything immediately. So part of it is really having that conversation, understanding what the camera sees and figuring out what best serves the script. So as scripts come in, what types of things have like forced you to have to change up the set? Like you read it and you're like, oh God, this is gonna have to work differently now. Well, when we break down the script and we see the schedule, we consider if it's day or night. Often we shoot what's called day for night, another behind the scenes term brought to you by this <laughs> podcast, people. Love it. That means that we're shooting in the daytime, but it's nighttime in the script. Okay. So, how would I change up the set to deal with that? I would add practicals another term you've learned today. What's a practical, Beth? Practical is a light, is an example of a, a actual practical lamp. So sometimes when something doesn't like necessarily fit the look, but it's like a necessary thing, I can be like, that's my practical, leave it alone. <laughs> that's what I should say to people if they're like, I don't like that look, I'd be like, this is my practical. That's right. Hands off. So I come, I interface with the director and we get everything set up. We may just leave it as it is. We may make some changes. And then I say, on to the next one, because I am constantly advancing the company. Myself and my crew are always coming before to do our setup. We kind of leave when the shoot is there, and I leave an on-set dresser who are my eyes and ears on set. And I get a phone call or a text from him. You know, we'd like to change this practical or we just broke a bowl and that's something that i deal with uh <laughs> while they're You're shooting like, <laughs> and we're going in on the other end to clean it all up restore it continue on so we don't consider ourselves part of the shooters okay we consider ourselves part of the preppers 
So the preppers are the people in the production office, the location manager, the production office coordinator, people who are, again, working on the next episode and going forward while the shooting's happening. So on that first morning of shooting, what actually goes on then? Well, I'm always there to open the set, to walk with the director or someone from my department is there. As I said, we take into account whatever has changed. Sometimes there are even new pages. Oh, God, Beth. So, so I didn't even think about the idea that you have to deal with rewrites like in the moment. They usually happen late at night. I check my email in the morning and this is how it goes. And I did have to look this up because you would think that I'm so cool that I would know this but I did have to look this up. There's different colored paper for every revision. And if you're a writer and you're taking notes now, here's the list of possible revisions. The white draft is the original. Then we go to blue, pink, yellow, green, goldenrod, buff, salmon, and sherry. Now, Here's the really sad part of it. There's a second revision list. So we're going again. Second blue, second pink, second yellow, second green, second goldenrod, second buff. And as I said before, scary second salmon and (laughs) second cherry revision. Now that is a script that's had a lot of hands on it. Second salmon, that sounds like anything. When things are going to shit, I'm going to be like, you know what? This is a truly second salmon situation. <laughs> that, that we're going we're gonna to adopt that in my <laughs> office as well. That is going to be the situation for, oh for us in my, in my next job. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we'll have to have a t-shirt made for you that says, like, <laughs> it's a total second salmon situation. <laughs> That's great. Oh, my God. It's a set decorator's uh, version of shit show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, so how do you keep things organized as, as a working parent? And how do you keep things balanced with all of these things that are incredibly stressful? How do you keep it all organized? How do you keep it all straight? It took me a long time to realize what worked best during my daughter's different ages as she grew up. And in the beginning, when she was a young child, it was more about trying to get home at a reasonable hour. But as she grew up and getting into high school and even where she was going to go to college, it took a lot more of my time during the day of practical details that had to happen in business hours. So as a working parent then, I really found myself staying completely organized was a key for my job. Each episode is organized in a different colored binder. I use different notebooks to keep track of various sets. I break down my to-do lists and my tasks and really talk to myself and say, okay, I'm going to do two things for the set that shoots tomorrow. And I do them. And then one thing for my family or business that has to happen regarding my daughter during the day. And then I'm going to do two things for the next set or for my next job required task. And I feel like once I'm in that element and moving throughout my day back and forth, because I I write everything down, I, I don't 
like using the computer to keep myself organized. In many ways, of course, I do. And now every job-related situation is a Zoom meeting. But <laughs> I, a Google Doc. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a big fan of the list making and the crossing, putting the line through what's on my list or putting that check next to it. It really works for me. Do you ever do that thing where, like, you know you're almost done with a thing, but it wasn't on the list, so you, like, add it to the list just so that you could cross it off? I do. I do that, too. I admit it. <laughs> Caroline, we're so alike. I do. I know. I'm like, eight breakfast. Wait, I didn't write it on the list. Eight breakfast. Done. Walked to the laundry. Did the laundry. I'm like, look at me crossing things off today. I do that. And I think I am much more efficient when I'm working. And that is one thing that I've discovered during COVID and during quarantine. Not having the focus of work to get all my other things focused has not been the greatest thing for me. But work is opening up and starting to happen. And I've got a pile of paperwork sitting right next to me. Oh, just for you to start crossing things Mm -hmm. off. you have explained a lot of hard work and and dedication to to your craft that you deliver so well and i know so many of our listeners are going to absolutely love to hear these behind the scene tips and there's many small moments here that i feel like you could take out and put into your own home especially things like laying things out and looking at them all together and trying to make those decisions collectively maybe bring in some friends and like get some other ideas whether it's zoom or what have you try to try to use your team like beth does use those people who know how to do something right don't you try yeah. to do your your own electricity <laughs> not a good idea but i do have a listener question for you um they asked can you describe what it feels like when you step back and look at a finished set for the first time and do you watch the shows that you work on i watch all the shows that i work on i don't listen to my podcast <laughs> Uh, because that's a little harder but we always probably want more congratulations than we get in the film business because it's such a minute to minute situation but we have groomed ourselves to know what we're going to get from who in a certain situation and which actors revel in the set decoration and when we're working together, who's the most vocal about the work. So we take that in and then we return to the office and we do a lot of self-congratulations and we make ourselves feel good. And yes, of course, I watch every episode because through the years I have seen mistakes, number one, that I like to correct. And number two, I really want to engage with fans. And the way that I've done that is live tweeting during an episode and getting everybody's input and questions. And I admit I've watched some episodes more than once. So yes, seeing the work on screen is incredibly gratifying and it's taken so much to get there that When you work with directors and people who do wide shots and uh, let your work be shown, it's incredibly satisfying. So Beth, this has been an an eye-opening episode. I think that most people have no idea how this goes into. I cannot believe I never realized that 
we have to switch directors because you can't be prepping and shooting at the same time. My God, Caroline, get with it. Now I feel like I know so much more about how your work happens and the steps that all go into the whole huge process. So thank you so much for sharing and being so open because I know people within the industry may choose to to keep their stuff quiet or or feel like they have the secret sauce. And I feel like you have the secret sauce and you being willing to share is is very generous of you. So thank you. I really appreciate that. And thinking about this episode of our podcast in particular, here's a quote from Dennis Leary, who has major experience working in television. He says, in my experience in series TV, if you have a good crew and a great cast, it's going to be a great group. Similar to the theater where it's a bunch of people who are really talented and go to work each day and challenge each other. And if you're lucky enough to get a hit, then it's five or six or seven years of this kind of work. And that really describes what happens when you work on a TV show and you're a well-oiled machine and the crew becomes a family. And it's something that I'm grateful to have had for many years. That is very well said, Beth. So thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Five stars, people. Five stars. Thank you for listening. Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home is a Pod Clubhouse original production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Pod Clubhouse.